All right, so today's reading is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, and it can be found on page 1049 on the Pew Bibles. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have no food to spare, or have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Simon. Let's just pray as we look at this passage together. Father, would you come in the power of your spirit and just reveal to each one of us gathered here this morning your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm always amazed with various headlines that appear 
in the paper if a sports team wins. It's amazing how the, the, the editor, the journalist, can get a title for the talk or to get you, to the, the reader, to, to read uh, the, the story that they've written. And if we were to give this story a title so people might stay alert, could be something like billions of people's lives have been changed by this story. Yours could be the next. A runaway child comes home. What happens next will shock you. And if you go back to the beginning of chapter 15, we read that Jesus is talking with the or the Pharisees are, are, and the religious leaders are giving out that Jesus is, is talking and eating with sinners. And so he tells these three stories about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to show us in this story what God is really like. He's also showing us what we can be like. So this, the question I would ask you this morning as we begin is, Simon read that story to us. Which son do you associate with? Do you think you're a bit like the younger one who, who's been rebellious and walks away? Or do you think you're, you're like the older one who stays home but his relationship with the father is not... Not, not good. And I must admit, as I was, as I was preparing this, this talk, I was focusing more on the, the older son. But during the week, that sort of changed, that the two sons are coming in, but more the younger one. The picture was of a son who wants to live far away from the father. It's a picture of many of us who want to live far away from God. And he just doesn't go away from the father. He goes to a far off distant country. He tries to get as far away as he possibly, as he possibly can. And for some of us, that's a true picture of us. We, we try to do life on our own. We try to do life without God. We try to solve all our problems on our own. We have a tendency, don't we? to walk away from God. We see this obviously in the younger son, but we also see it in the older son. Because the relationship with the father between the younger son and the older son, the relationship is strained. The, young son, the younger son is looking for satisfaction, pleasure, freedom away from the father. The older son probably wants some sort of satisfaction, the same sort of things, but he finds it in staying and working for the father. But there isn't a relationship there, as we see later on in that story. So the relationship with the father, it's not there for either of the sons. You know, the interesting thing really about the father he does not insist that the son stays. 
And yet with the older one who, who does stay, the father wants a relationship with him too, but he does not force himself on his older son. So the father lets the younger son go. And sometimes he has to let us go to go off and wander, find our own way in the world. And eventually in this story, what happens is the younger son hits rock bottom. And he contemplates coming back. He runs out of money. He hires himself out to, to a pig farmer. He's so hungry, he eats some of the food from, that he's been feeding the pigs to survive. And then one day as he's feeding the pigs, and I've told this congregation, I've worked with pigs for a year. I know all about feeding pigs, how smelly they are, and all that sort of thing. But it finally twigs with him. He says, I need to go home. I need to go home and be like a servant. At least I will have food. And so often it's the same for us, whether we're following God or not. When we hit rock bottom, when a crisis hits, where there's no other option, we find ourselves coming back to God. And how often have you made a promise? God, if only you do this, I will do such and such. But for many of us, we seem to do better than the prodigal has done with his accounting and his money. We manage to cope pretty well with our life for ourselves. We don't even turn around. But this hunger for God, this hunger for a father, it's like a yearning within us that's often been described as a God space vacuum is there. And we, we try to fill that space with everything and anything. And so often we do not realize what actually we are looking for. Friends, can I suggest this morning that you stop? You turn around and come back to the Father. Come to God because he is waiting for you with open arms. There was a time in my life when I was sitting on a plane 30,000 feet in the air when I heard that still small voice, the voice of the Father. And I knew there and then what I had to do, although I didn't do it there and then. I was called, being called to leave behind what was already good to go to Uganda, to do something which I did not realize at the time was far better. I could stay where I was, but that would have been disobedient, but I think my life would have been all right. But there would have come a time in my life when I would have said, is that all there is that I'm meant to be doing? Is that really it? But to go to a place where I was being called, not that it would be easy, but my life would be fulfilled. And now when I look back on those years, despite all the difficulties, Ruth and I have been so blessed. Friends, whether you're walking with God or whether you're not, can I ask you this morning to stop, turn around, and come back to him? Come back to the Father, feel his embrace, his love for you, and enjoy all that he has in store for you. Maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you listen to this on the podcast, and you're wondering, is this all there is to life, or is there more? Friends, there is so much more. 
It is possible to know all about yourself in so many ways. You may have life sorted out on so many levels. And deep down inside, you're missing out on that bit that's the most important, the thing that really matters. And what Jesus is saying to all of us is that we are like the younger son who has wandered from the father. And then what can stop us from coming to know God? What can stop us from beginning a journey towards him? And that is because we do not know what God is like. That's what sometimes stops people coming to the Father because they do not know what he is like. We're not sure of what sort of reception we'll get when we come back. And in the story today, we're shown exactly what he is like. You know, I never liked school. And tests, I detested them. Excuse the pun. Especially Irish. But many other tests were no much different. And since I've left school, I still have to do a test every now and again. I don't like them full stop. How about you? Did you come to church this morning and think, maybe it's some sort of a test I have to go through? Maybe they will test my morality. Maybe they will test how good I am. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for years and know better, but it's like we have some sort of a default button and we go back to this thing that it's some sort of a test. And you know why? That's because religion is a test. All world religions, apart from Christianity, are a test because there are certain standards you have to meet to meet God or to meet enlightenment or whatever. But not with Christianity. The message of Jesus, listen my friends, is different. It's a radical message of unconditional love. It's a message of grace. It's not about a test. It's about an embrace. That's what happens when the father sees his son and runs towards him. That's what we can expect when we come to God. A moderate equivalent of this story could be something like this. A dad raises a child, he pours his whole heart into his life. The son reaches about 18, he comes to him and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. That was the cultural equivalent of what happened in this story that we've read. Because if you were dead, I could sell the house, I could have the money, I could do what I like. Imagine this, the dad says, okay, let me downsize. I'll buy a smaller house, I'll give you the money. And so the son takes the money and decides to have a good time. He goes to wherever, Magaluf, Monte Carlo, Las Vegas, wherever. And he spends money on drugs, on alcohol, on women, on gambling. He has many friends because he has so much money. But then he wastes everything. The money runs out and all the people he thought were his friends, they disappear. And he ends up homeless and on the streets, begging, finding scraps of food in the bins, and no one helps him out. Imagine at that moment, he suddenly thinks about his father and says, maybe I should go back, but I can't, I'm too embarrassed. But overcome with guilt and shame, 
And even though he's embarrassed, he decides to send a text to his father. He won't FaceTime him because he's just too embarrassed to look in his face. And he says, Dad, I know I want to come back. I know we can't have a relationship like we used to. And you probably don't even want to see me, but this is what I suggest. On the third Thursday of the month, I will come by. I'll be in a taxi because a lovely street pastor has given me the ticket money and the money for the taxi. And if you want to see me, tie a balloon on the, on the garden gate. If I don't see one, I'll ask the taxi driver to keep driving. I'll understand that you don't want to see me and you will never hear from me again. And as the Thursday arrives, he's <clears throat> nervous, practicing what he will say to his dad as he rides in the taxi, not knowing if the father will really want to see him ever again. And he's getting very nervous, sweat pouring from his brow. And as he's about to turn into the dad's road, the anxiety and fear, they are raging inside him. And then turns the corner and he sees not one balloon, but there are balloons all over the gate, balloons in the bushes, balloons in the trees, on the house, in fact, all the way up the street. His dad is standing at the gate with two bunches of balloons in his hands. And as he sees the taxi turning the corner, he drops the balloon and runs as fast as he can. He wrenches open the car door and pulls his son out. And as the son is, has been practicing to say to his dad, I'm sorry, I know we can't, but the dad hasn't even listened to his speech. He's yelling back into the house. He's here, he's here. Get the music on, get the party started. Get the barbecue lit. My son is home, my son is home. The son has tears in his eyes. The dad has tears in his eyes. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. That's the picture of what it's like when we come to know God. Of who he is. Of a father who embraces us when we come home. And we think it's some kind of test. That's often our approach, but that is not what God is like. This is what he is like. As I hear this and ponder, am I saying that things don't matter? Yes, they do matter. And I used to think the word prodigal meant rebellious. It means the son who wastefully extravagant, he wasted all his money. And what we meet in this story is a prodigal God. The prodigal father, the father who is ex wastefully extravagant with his love. He spends everything on us that we might embrace him. Because the, Jesus, the story Jesus is telling us is to explain to us that God became a person in Jesus Christ. It's if as if we, he comes to a far country looking for us. It costs everything, the cross, he gave his life. And then the resurrection, when we give our life to Jesus, because of the cross and resurrection, we can, he can embrace us fully. And this message of Jesus is far, far more than a message of forgiveness. It goes way beyond that. 
It's not about a God who comes as a judge and to be made right with him. It's about coming to know him as Father, who is full of compassion and full of love. And we are brought into his family. That's what the message is. What are you expecting when you come to know God? What was the son expecting? His expectations at the very best were that he would be a servant. And he was saying, maybe he will accept me if I work really, really hard. And then in this story that Simon read for us from Luke 15, the father says, quick, get the robe. Quick, get the sandals. Quick, get the ring. Quick, get the party going. The son's expectations were blown away. And then we think, maybe if I'm good, or like the older brother in the story, we can have some sort of an arrangement. The father does not insist. The son stays when he decides to leave. But when he comes back, the father insists. The father insists that he is coming back as a son. And that's the only way. The father says, I'm not going to settle for you at arm's length. You're coming back as my son. And he is saying the same to each one of you this morning. You're coming back as my son. You're coming back as my daughter. Last week, I heard a story <coughs> of a young lady. <coughs> well, maybe not quite so young. It depends on your age, what is young and what is old. And you can look this up yourselves on, on YouTube. A lady called Stephanie Fast. She was born in the 1950s, so that gives you what her age is. Is that young or old now? Again, it depends what age you are. She was born in South Korea. Her dad was an American soldier. Her mum was from South Korea. Her dad left when the war ended. In those days, South Korea, to be biracial, there was a huge social stigma attached to that. Then to be born outside marriage, also a huge stigma attached to that. An awful lot of shame associated with it. And she recalls that her earliest memory was of her mum arguing with family's member about her and her future. And she heard something like basically, if mum kept Stephanie, she would have no future. And she says a day came when her mum walked her down some dirt track towards a village. She had a little cloth wrapped in it with some little bit of food and changed of clothes. And then she heard this noise and she asked what that noise was. And her mum said, that's a train. She says, we're going on a journey. Not quite sure what age she was. She was about five or six, somewhere around there. And she told, the, the mother told Stephanie that when she got to the train, she says, get onto the train. She thought the mum was coming with her, but mum left the train. And she says, when you get to the end of the station, when the train stops and everybody gets off, you get off and your uncle will be waiting for you on the platform. And she does as she's told. She stays on the train. The train goes a long way. Train stops, everybody gets off, she gets off. She looks for her uncle, but there's no one there to greet her. 
She was cast adrift, can you imagine, at that age? Especially when people were already prejudiced against her. And she went up to the guard when everyone had left the station and tried to explain her predicament. He looked at her, spat in her face and called her a racist word. She talks about how she had to live on the streets and somehow at the age she survived. For some years she moved from place to place and place to place and one day she arrived at the second largest city in South Korea. And there she was, one day she was on a rubbish pile and a nurse from a charity found her asleep and took her to an orphanage. She was there for a while and about the age of nine a missionary couple came to the orphanage and they were going to adopt uh, a baby. But they saw her. She describes as the man came towards her. She felt drawn towards him. She could not understand why, but because she was malnourished, she had lice in her hair, worms in her stomach. She could hardly see. She had face scars. Basically, her whole health and her whole life was a mess. The man got down on his knees and put his hand on her cheek. She said, it was so tender I could not, did not want to let him go. She said, I was never touched like that before and it felt good on the inside. But what I did though, and even though I did not want him to take his hand away, I spat in his face twice. I ran away, slammed the door and hid. But that family did not give up. They kept coming back to the orphanage. And finally they adopted her. Because of her background, she had no idea what adoption meant. So all she understood that she was going home with them. And what she thought was, this happens all the time and I'm going to their house and I'll have to work. Like a maid. She said, that's what rich people did. And she gets to the house and she thinks this is amazing. A proper bathroom, food on the table, new clothes. Had her own room and a bed. But she could not understand why they were treating her this way. They gave her clothes, they gave her lovely meals, they sorted out all her health issues, tucked her into bed at night. She was so confused that they never gave her any work to do. But she was afraid to mention it to them. And this went on for months and she could not understand why she was being treated so nicely until one day she was in the village and talking to this lady that she had got to know. And she started telling her how nice these Americans were and all that they were doing for her, but giving her no work. I cannot understand, she says, why they haven't put me to work. And the lady gently took her by the hand and said, Stephanie, don't you understand that you're their daughter? You're their daughter. She was totally shocked and she says, no, I'm not their daughter. And the woman said, yes, you are. You are their daughter. And Stephanie says she was floored and ran out of the place and back to her home. And as she was going, all she could keep saying was, I'm their daughter, I'm their daughter. And that's why they're treating me this way. And she burst into the house and jumps into her mother's arms. And in Korean, she says, I'm your daughter, I'm your daughter. And the mother bursts into tears and says, yes, of course, you are my daughter. And in an interview, she expresses the horror she faced as a young child growing up on the streets. 
But that moment when she realizes she is a daughter, she cannot explain it. There is grace beyond language. And in the story that Jesus tells about the son who comes home and he thinks maybe he can come home as a servant but the father will have none of it. He's coming home as a son. He says, you are my son. And the message of Jesus is this. He came so that his father could become our father. It is not a message about a test. It's not a message about conditions and, and terms. It's a mes message of utter and complete grace. It's a story about a father who loves his son. But here is the real point. God is your father. And you can be his daughter. And you can be his son. And whether you're the one in the story that returns or the one who stayed at home all along, when we come towards him, we meet a God who is full of compassion and love. Beyond all understanding, he is a God. He is a father who when you come to him, he just throws his arms around you in that embrace to say, you are my son, you are my daughter. And friends, as I conclude very quickly, Perhaps you're here this morning, you've been ignoring or even rejecting God's love, trying to fill that empty space with whatever, something other than God's love. Do you know, it's time to stop rebelling and come home and feel his embrace. It's time to give up on trying to be good enough and just enjoy the part of following Jesus daily. Amen. As